Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, so good to, to be with you and uh, just have this uh, uh, time of, of conversation and of us really uh, glorifying God and, and, and who he is through, through his word. And uh, a quick huzzah that I want to extend to the, the teaching team. Uh, a few months ago, I believe it was like March, um, I was, no, it was May, I'm sorry, that I was supposed to, uh, uh, to, to teach, but then I just had an emergency and they had just stepped in and Alvia just did a, a, such a wonderful job and just sharing his, his story. And so, um, again, I want to extend that huzzah to, to them for, for really being that community, for them really, you know, praying for me is, uh, I was getting my wisdom tooth extracted. For those that know about that, that's not a pleasurable thing. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I just want to extend thanks for just them coming around me and just supporting me and uh, just just filling in there. So a quick hip hip huzzah to, to, to the teaching team. You know, 2020 uh, has been a doozy, <laughs> hasn't it? I mean, throughout this, throughout the year, I don't remember going through such a range of emotions based on the events that have transpired, not just for our family personally, but also in the world as well, from um, losing our family member, losing our dog, Arthur, at the beginning of the year to you know, now dealing with uh, a COVID-19 and um, the effects there on our businesses and our jobs and our work, um, to now having to go through again uh, another act of uh, injustice, um, another black man uh, killed uh, recently um, as a result of police brutality. And, and um, it's not just George Floyd, but we think of Breonna Taylor as well and, and others, but um, that one, that really hit me in, in, in an interesting way because when I saw George Floyd, he was, he was my age. And as I looked at that, feelings of hurt, feelings of frustration, feelings of fatigue, of, of anger had just been, I've just been flooded with those emotions within the last couple weeks. And, you know, in processing that, you know, here we are as a Christ follower as well, where God is calling me. Uh, God is calling us uh, to live and love like his son, Jesus, in the areas that we live, work, and play. However, with all the things that are going on, with all the emotions that, that I'm processing, it's like, it's like, man, it's like, I can't be concerned with that. Or I, I feel like I can't be concerned with that right now, especially in dealing with such a polarized uh, culture where people are very entrenched in what they want to believe. They're, uh, everyone's looking out for themselves. And so, you know, the, the, the challenge then becomes, you know, in, in a polarized, aggressive, fierce, and somewhat merciful, uh, merciless, excuse me, an, an environment where every man is for himself, you know, why should we be concerned to live and love like Jesus when we have our own emotional baggage uh, to deal with? 
in our in our reading um, in our reading of the New Testament, we arrive at Second Corinthians and and before we go into the uh, the scripture for today, understand and I want to establish this context because I think this really adds a little bit color to when Paul is writing in the verses that we're going to be looking at. Um, Paul has worked with the church at Corinth for a year and a half. He's toiled with them. He's labored with them. Corinth is a very diverse, successful port city. It's almost like a New York in sorts of sorts. And in work in Paul preaching the gospel and sharing the message of, of Jesus in that city, he establishes a church there, the church at Corinth. And Corinth, they've got their issues. Um, Corinth is still considered uh, immature. Uh, church. And so there are various issues that pop up within the church of Corinth that Paul has to deal with. So scholars believe that Paul wrote four letters uh, to the church at Corinth. One of those were lost. Uh, the, second letter, the second letter is considered 1 Corinthians. And so Paul addresses the church at Corinth, and it's more practical in nature. He's handling the issues of of, of division. He's handling issues of, of sexual purity. He's handling issues of church gatherings. He's handling issues of um, food sacrificed to idols. He's handling the issue of the, resur of the resurrection. And so Paul addresses this church very, very practically in 1 Corinthians. However, in 2 Corinthians, it's totally different. In 2 Corinthians, it gets personal. Why is it getting personal? Because you have to understand the major division that was happening in the church of Corinth is that there were false teachers that came in and these false teachers um, were or appeared more successful. They appeared to fit more of the mold of what uh, an apostle or someone that spoke of Christ looked like. And so the church was torn between what these teachers were portraying and what they were saying because they began speaking negatively about Paul because Paul didn't live that way. Paul uh, was more humble and more meager in his resources and, and, and what he had. And so when they looked at Paul, it didn't exactly fit the image of what they thought a representative or a leader of Christ should look like. Add on top of that, um, when Paul had requested at the, the church to give money to help with the poor in Jerusalem, they also believed that, you know what, he was trying to exploit that church and exploit their wealth, maybe using it for themselves. And so imagine Paul knowing this, visiting them. Imagine Paul, imagine what he felt like. Imagine when he heard the news about what the church of Corinth really thought. Imagine the hurt. Imagine the frustration. Imagine the anger he had. Um, imagine the fatigue with working and toiling with them for over a year and a half where he didn't ask them for anything. While he was in Corinth, he was a tent maker, so he made his own money, and yet they were questioning and they were doubting who he was in terms of his being authorized by God to share with them the good news of the message. And so Paul could have been like, hey, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with you. You know, I don't want to have anything to do with you guys anymore. You guys are not going to believe me anyway. You, you feel like, and he could have just kind of like brushed his hand off and, and wiped his feet and would have gone. And he would have been justified. He's totally justified in those feelings. 
However, because of his love for God and because he knew of what he was entrusted with, he went forward and instead of going with his emotions, he went ahead and he moved towards reconciliation. And then he writes, he writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse, we're beginning at verse 14. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a point of view. However, di how differently we know him, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made with God, we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. You know, when Paul goes into the message of reconciliation, which is a gospel metaphor, uh, the main idea of reconciliation is to be brought in a peaceful, right relationship with God. But in this, these verses, Paul takes it a step further because there's actual action that goes into being in a right relationship, being in a peaceful relationship with God. When you think about the opposite of peace, you know, we think hostility, we think conflict, we think alienation, we think estrangement. And, and as we think about those things, understand that before we could be reconciled to God, understand that we all were in a place of hostility with God. We were all in a place of conflict with God. We were all in a place in which we were all alienated from God. However, if you notice in the scripture, the remedy for that alienation, the remedy for that conflict, for that separation, the remedy was come in the person of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did is someone who was absolutely innocent, absolutely blameless, was someone who was absolutely righteous. What he did in order for us to have that right relationship with God, in order for us to have that, that peace with God in order for us to have that 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 glorious wonderful uh uh, uh encouraging 
uh, uh, fulfilling uh, relationship with God, there had to be a price. And that price was Jesus literally taking upon himself our sin, our bad habits, our, our, our addictions. He took all that on himself as he died on the cross. And as a result of that, he has put us in a position to have a right relationship, a peaceful relationship with God. That is the message of reconciliation. <laughs> you know, when I think about how I feel personally about reconciliation, especially during these times, when I think about what God had to do, what Jesus had to do in sacrificing the very son that he loved, and taking upon my sin, when I think about what that means to me. Yes, I, I do feel that I'm loved. And I, and I think sometimes it's it's almost cliche, but if, if I can take it a step further, you know what that means? To me, that means that I'm, I'm valued. You know, I remember hearing a quote, the quote was, the value of a thing is determined by the price paid for it. And if the very son of God, the one who created the universe, the one who created everything, the one in which everything exists, if he went ahead and did that and took upon himself my own bad habits, my own addictions, my own faults, if he took that upon himself so that I can be in a right relationship with him, I feel, I feel valued. I feel important. I feel respected. I feel validated. I feel confident. I feel that I matter. And so if I'm the one, if I feel these things for myself as I think about what God did for me and what God had to do to put me in a, relate, a right relationship with him, who am I despite what I feel? Not saying they're not justified, they are, but who am I to say and who am I to withhold this message of reconciliation to others despite how I feel? For those that don't know Christ, can I share this with you? If you're not a Christ follower, can I share this? Jesus wants you to come back home. He's saying, come back to God. He's saying, I've already paid the price. This is for you. All you have to do is, 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 is ask. All you have to do is, 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 is admit that, hey, you know what? I, I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I don't have all my, I don't all have my stuff in place. I'm angry and I'm, I'm, I'm mad about things. And there's some still things that, that I'm dealing with. But you know what, God, um, you have already paved the way for us, for me to have a right relationship with you. And so, God, I want that. 
And God is telling you, come home, come back to me. I've paid the price. I've done the necessary work. Come back to me. You know, for those that are Christ followers, how is this message of reconciliation, how is this message of reconciliation showing up in our day-to-day interactions with those people that we live, work, and play with? How does that show up? Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that we have to totally negate what's going on in the world and not address that. No, I'm not saying that at all, my friends, because you have to understand before reconciliation, there has to be recognition. See, before, see, Jesus didn't go about and say, hey, you know what, just be reconciled to me, be reconciled to me. No, there was a recognized problem that there is sin that needs to be addressed. And so as Christ followers, we need to be addressing uh, systemic racism. We need to be addressing addressing injustice. We need to be addressing equality. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I'm here to let you know that the spirit of racism is a spirit of, of, of the devil. It is a spirit straight from Satan. It is a principality and it is a power and it is something that we need to speak against as fellow bod- as the fellow bodies of believers. We need to speak against that. However, at the end of the day, What's our end goal at the end of the day? Are we completely hiding behind the gospel, not willing to address these issues? Or are we, in our conversations, are we facilitating psychological safety within our spheres of influence in which we can have these real conversations in which not only can we discuss these issues, but that we could utilize the message of reconciliation that was entrusted to us as ambassadors and as partners. See, we also, as believers, we have a vested interest in this. And we as a church, it's not only important for us to be reconciled to God, but that reconciliation must be made manifest in our relationship with each other. They're both equal. So how is that showing up? How are we prioritizing? Despite our emotions, despite what we feel, despite those things, and those are all justified. Believe me, they're all justified. But at the end of the day, are we as Christ followers prioritizing the message of reconciliation? You know, a quote by George Boyd, uh, who's a a pastor uh, out West says, to fail to preach and live out reconciliation is as heretical as not preaching or practicing the forgiveness of sins. So as we consider our interactions, as we consider what's going on in our world today, what step can we take as Christ followers? How can we prioritize 
this message of reconciliation, this message of God bringing us back into right, peaceful relationship, um, be, a right, peaceful relationship with him through the, 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 the sacrifice, through the taking on of sin, through, through the work, the atoning work uh, of Jesus Christ. How do we keep that top of mind as we engage others, uh, as we engage others in the areas and where we live, work, and play. One way we do that is we as we engage in our spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines and in getting into God's word, into communicating with him uh, in prayer, in meditating on what he has for us, in listening to him, in community with one another. Uh, Howard Thurman states, the true purpose of all spiritual disciplines is to clear whatever clear away whatever may block our awareness of that which is God in us. So let's take this moment with, your, with our families. Well, let's close our eyes and I'm gonna read a few verses of our central scripture today. And as I read about this message of, of reconciliation, ask yourself this question and and really ponder and meditate on this. What does the message of reconciliation mean to me? And how can I prioritize this in my communications, in my relationship with others? Paul writes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What this means is that those that who have become Christians are new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone. A new life has become. All this newness of life is from God, who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors and God is using us to speak to you. We urge you as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, be reconciled to God. For, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right, so we could be made right with God through Christ. What does the ministry, our ministry, God's ministry of reconciliation mean to me? And so, Father, as we, we're so humbled and so grateful. Lord, we're, we all process emotions at different times, and it's just so easy for us to get bombarded and so easy to withdraw. It's so easy to just kind of go in our own cocoon and not be concerned or, you know, not engage others with the very ministry that you've entrusted us with. 
However, Lord, I just pray that you remind us not only what that ministry of reconciliation, what the gospel message is, but that you would just remind us of what that specifically means for us and that we would carry that in our conversations as we illuminate truth, as we speak truth to fire, as we speak against the 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 the, the powers that are the, the powers of the enemy, as we point out the societal ills uh, that you call us to. I pray that in us addressing those, that we may operate under the ministry that you've tasked us with, which is bringing others back into right, peaceful relationship with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this teaching has encouraged and challenged you. We always have more resources available at our website, lbcf.org. And wherever you are and wherever you're listening, we pray you be filled with grace to learn to live in love like Jesus.